You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Not Must Wire football podcast. Week three recap, MWWire.com's website. If you're like, hey, who are these guys? We're talking about the Not the West, Matt. It's Matt and Jeremy are hanging out. And first off, Matt, you have to be having a pretty good Saturday night, Sunday, correct? Uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a pretty, pretty pleasant day out. Um, pleasant? That's, that's it? Upset New UCLA, just pleasant? Well, I mean, it, you, you know, puts a little extra pep in your step for sure. Heck yeah! Unlike my team, which uh, I saw this coming a mile away, but I'm not, I'm surprised how it happened with Utah losing to San Diego State. So we'll get to that as well. So you're happy? I'm like, I'm not a fool. What Utah was supposed to be this year, and they're not that at all. So, but at all these games this weekend, two conference games, some good, te- some good results, some not so good results. Some I we'll we'll talk about the Mexico Bowl. Classify that as not totally embarrassing. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I think in the broad strokes, you know, you look at the result, which was, you know, 34 nothing in favor of Texas A&M, and you think, okay, well, that bet about what you expected, about how you expected it to. Um, and so you, you start kind of contextualizing it as best as you can. You know, you look for the silver linings and you look for like what it actually says about both teams. And so like to me, the big takeaway is, um, you know, Texas A&M elite defense. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Oh, it's really good defense. Yeah. Yeah, because you, know, you look at the fact that you know New Mexico you know, on the game, I think they only averaged what was it per play? Two two point one yards per play, one hundred and twenty two yards of total offense. But you know, I think that probably says more about the level of talent that the Aggies have on defense, where. You know, they had four sacks, uh, including, you know, a couple from you know, future NFL guys like, you know, DeMarvin Leal had a sack and a half. Aaron Hansford had a sack. Uh, and then they also had 11 tackles for loss as well. And, yeah. you know, and, and Terry Wilson, you know, even though he completed under 50% of his passes and, you know, he had the one kind of bad mistake with the interception. But other than that, I think it was just more that, that, that A&M was playing a really suffocating brand of defense than anything New Mexico was doing obviously wrong. 
Um, they just kind of got out athleted, you know, out coached. And, you know, when you sort of recognize that in the broad strokes, you start looking a little closer at like, okay, well, what actually went right? And, you know, I see, you know, some of the young guys that we've talked about in past podcasts, you know, making the best of, of less than ideal circumstances, you know, case in point on the opposite side of the ball, Aaron Dumas had another nice game, you know, 10 carries, 49 yards, had a couple of, you know, big runs. Yeah. Uh, you know, Tavian Combs forced, you know, A- A&M into its kind of one glaring mistake in the afternoon. You led the team with 11 tackles, had the interception when they were able to get pressure on, on the quarterback, Zach Calzada. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, some of the guys that we've been seeing, you know, step up and make plays continued to do so. And so I don't think you necessarily, you know, change your opinion on, on these logos one way or the other too drastically. I think we're definitely going to learn a lot more from them, you know, as they, as we get a little further into conference play in the coming weeks and, and things like that. So we've sort of seen, I guess you could say that they've met kind of our preseason expectations to this point. Like they've, they've shown the propensity that they can beat teams that they should beat. And, you know, maybe they still have a ways to go. Yeah, they, they still have a ways to go to be able to kind of, you know, pull off some of the feats that we saw elsewhere in the Mountain West this week. And I think, you know, next week's game against, I believe, UTEP is going to be kind of the, the biggest litmus test of like how far this team has progressed because they and the miners, we'll talk about it more in our recap podcast later in the week, but they're sort of in the same boat, I think, through three games into this season where they, they both definitely show an improvement which should make for, I would imagine, a, a very even matchup all the way around. Yeah, it's like 34 nothing. It's It was, what, 28 points, 28 points. Not expected. And it took the foot off the gas the fourth quarter. This is just a slow burn, 14-0, 24-34. I'm not, I'm not surprised by the result. I thought Wilson might have done a touch better just because 33 yards isn't really good throwing the ball at all. So it, you would like to see a couple of things here or there, but – Third down was reasonably okay, six to seventeen against his AM defense. That's not great, but it's not like just terrible and awful. So they got a few chances here and there on third down. But like AM might be playoff team this year. Like they might be able to win SEC West. You know what I mean? Like they're that good of a team. And we'll see what happens up for them. But it's like the result's not like you said, it's what as expected. But it also wasn't a fifty six to two three loss or something embarrassing, even though this wasn't really all that close. It wasn't like you see, thirty four zero A and M did what they're supposed to do. It wasn't a shellacking like what's unfortunately it's been going on like UConn or other teams who are not very good and, and like it's it's not nothing like that or like what a who did a NIU play Michigan and Michigan toward like ten touchdowns versus NIU or something and went yeah. like sixty to ten. It's nothing like that. So it's not a it's a bad loss, but it's not an embarrassing loss. We'll say that. And did you see, is the early line at UTEP really minus two UTEP on the road? UTEP is favored? That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, the, the difference between UTEP and, and New Mexico, at least in the eyes of Vegas, is basically home field advantage. Mm-hmm. Good old rivalry game, too. That'll be a good one as well. It'll be, it'll be, so like, we'll, I think it'll be a sneaky, entertaining game. I'm looking forward to talking to it about it. Yeah, it, it should be good. Yeah, we, it'll be, it'll be good stuff. It'll be a, at at worst, a competitive game for New Mexico, they could win and be sitting at three and one. Like if they're three and one, heck, who wouldn't want that if that's the case? So mm-hmm. we'll see how that goes. Not much more to say. So let's go to what's the next? My, my freaking drive by box score is weird. Nevada, Kansas State. I guess we have to talk about the uh, inefficient inefficiency of the offensive defensive line of the Wolfpack. Is that De- where we're going? Definitely a disappointing result. Yeah. 
John Peterson, where were you? Where was – I'm not just putting him out, but the whole defense, like, they could not stop the ground game at all. If they well, okay, so, so can, can, we, can we stop for just a moment and point out that Don Peterson Fine. actually had two TFLs? Uh, that's why I was kidding. I guess the one – this it's you know, this is like the one big name. It's like, come on, John Peterson. Because I thought – here's the reason why I bring up. Not, I'm not – I you, don't, you did not let me finish it. I'm not to blame it on him. But he's a big guy, everybody knows. And I saw on Twitter a bunch of NFL guys. Look at this guy. He's just pushing these guys around, knocking them around. And he did. Two TFLs is good. I'm not doubting that. I'm just kind of half-jokingly, half-kidding, step up and stop the running game. And I know it's not all him. He had well, three tackles, two for a loss. He had Hentley as well. Diane Hentley had 11 tackles, seven solo. It was just like a group effort where they couldn't they couldn't stop what they're doing. Like basically Deuce Vaughn ran at will against them as did – um, what's his name? Uh, Joe Irvin as well. Yeah, you know, to your point, Dom Peterson had two tackles for loss, and the rest of the team had one. One. I um, know. <laughs> and and it's sort of it's sort of galling in particular this matchup, just because you know, other than the sixty-eight yard touchdown pass that the Wildcats had to open the scoring in the game, that was more than half of their passing yardage in the game. Like you know, the the, the quarterback Will Howard. Only seven of ten for 123 yards. You know, the longest pass other than that was like a 16 yard screen to Deuce Vaughn in the first half. But they didn't need it because Nevada got bullied up front, uh, especially on the defensive side of the football. You know, Vaughn had 127 yards, Irvin had 82 yards, and, and Howard himself had 52 and, and, you know, the three of them had four touchdowns. That was basically the entire offense right there. It was like the least flashy non triple option offense that's you know that you'll see anywhere in the country, and it just did not matter. You know, they you know, Nevada didn't really give themselves a chance to get off the field. You know, and even when they did push, whoa, 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 no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. Time of time of time of possession was fifty fifty essentially. Well, this was saying, not what I'm a forty like. That what it was, I guess, you know, I'm not, wasn't thinking in terms of time of possession. I was just thinking okay, in terms of, of just like how methodical Kansas State was. And so I think, you know, the, the more accurate thing that I look at is the fact that they were, you know, five of nine on third downs, which considering how often they ran the ball, you would have expected that they at least get it to third down a little more often. Yeah, it's a problem. But look at the other side of like they couldn't run the ball themselves, like Tortala. Dante Lee did nothing, or Devontae Lee, excuse me, hardly did anything. The longest running play is freaking eight yards. Yeah, They're, that's the problem. Like, think of this: like Kansas State, yes, they have like they beat Oklahoma, Oklahoma the last couple of years. They're a. It's not. Bill, I know Bill Starr's not there. It's the uh, Chris Kleiman, head coach now from North Dakota State. Yeah, and we know what they want to what they want to do, and they have some better athletes. But it's not like Kansas State has a is a superior gigantic team. Like you're telling me, like this result, whatever they lose thirty eight seventeen, surprising by the margin of victory, especially that fourth quarter. We'll get to where they just when it was close and they give up twenty one points. How are they going to do this against San Diego State? How are they going to do this against San Jose State? And even like your first state Bulldogs. Defense is playing much better. How are they going to move the ball on the ground against those three defenses, which probably in the same ballpark as Kansas State, as would Aztecs and San Jose State probably better than them. Possibly. That's that's the problem, isn't it? That's a problem. Yeah, it's going to be a problem when they're going to be can't run the ball in. Maybe they can chuck it deep all the time, but Carson Strong, 
was efficient. Dubs got his and everything in Stoville, some deep plays, but you can't just throw it down the down the field the whole time. Expect it to happen. Yeah, and I mean, so that's, you, it, it worked that, um, for a little. It worked for a little while. Like you know, Carson Strong didn't really make that many mistakes. So like, would you would you agree or disagree with that? Like even the interception he threw was more a consequence of of Cole Turner, I believe it was, falling down on the route than it was anything else. No, he like Doug, yeah, well, Dubs had 121 yards, a 50 50 yard. I know there's a the other non QB throw with the Tory Horton 44 yard pass that that completion is so all, but. He was fine. Like you would think, if he threw, if you're telling me Carson Strong completed 27 and 40 passes, I would expect about 300 yards. Mm-hmm. So that's a minor thing where I figured there'd be more. This is similar, not not quite, but kind of in that vein of the Hawaii game last year, where he was like 20 to 26, but only had like 220 yards. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like that. I'd expect a little bit more downfield. Like overall, yeah, those numbers make more sense with that 44 yarder. But he wasn't terrible, but he also wasn't like he. We'll bring up Jake Kane all the time. He didn't pull a Jake Kane and throw for 430 something yards and will the team a victory while losing the hip on the field. He was fine, but he wasn't great. And that's a problem when your offense rushing attack is basically, no, is non existent. Mm-hmm. They average one yard a play, 1.1 yard technically. Four feet. Every time they get the ball, they went four feet. That's not enough. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that didn't help too is they also had, you know, more penalties than the Kansas State did, and that's the kind of thing where they are typically like a very undisciplined team, but they just seemed sort of out of sorts once they fell behind. Well, it's a, yeah, it's the fourth quarter. It's like the game. This game was going into the fourth quarter was tied. Yeah, and I don't know if that's coaching. I don't know if that's depth wearing out. But in the fourth quarter, um. That, like literally nothing. Like they didn't move the ball. They had what two two possessions in the fourth quarter because Kansas State had three long drives that took their drives. Here's the point where time possession, like you mentioned earlier, where they hold the ball. The fourth quarter is when Kansas State dominated the ball. They held it for with my mass right here. What four ten? Like uh, like overall was it ten minutes to held the ball? They had in the fourth a ten quarter, ten and like? a half minutes in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, like the that. game really hinged yeah. on it, it hinged on that first drive in the fourth quarter, where they were they had fourth and four at the Kansas State forty one and got three yards because nobody could get open, and then yeah. Kansas State immediately took it down the field for uh for, for yeah. a touchdown to go up You're two scores. Tra- oh, you say immediately? It's a methodical six minute drive. Yeah, you know what I mean. Though. You get my point. Like you know, they turn around. And and turn that turnover on downs into points. Yeah, both times. Well, and, yeah, and the second the yeah. second time was just like a four and out because you know they they couldn't move the ball yeah. on that second drive. Like they couldn't get Cole Turner open on the fourth and three or fourth and four. Like I don't know. It's this the fourth quarter. Like the first three quarters was fine. They're tied game, close game. But the fourth quarter they just the Kansas City defense tightened up even more on them. And mm-hmm. they only had the ball twice, and they did nothing twice. And then the defense for Nevada couldn't hold them. They have those extensive drives. That's part of it too. Think about it's think about four plays. You're back out there in the field again. Four plays again. You're mm-hmm. tired. You're gassed. You're on the field for what six minutes of playing time. That's probably really 15, 20 minutes at least. You know what I mean? You're on the field for the whole fourth quarter. You can't stop anybody. It doesn't matter if the team's this good or some t- whatever level of competition. Like being a good team. 
hurts you. It could be any team. If you're on the field that long, it's going to hurt you and they'll make plays on you. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the main thing in the fourth quarter. The offense, like, I don't know if that's a Jane Orville thing. Like, now, I know they can't run the ball, but, or they couldn't run the ball, but you gotta do, I don't know, they gotta draw something else a bit better than not go three and out or four, I guess four and out in these two situations when you have the, the receiving grouping, like you had four guys who were really good. Like, Stovall, Milkwan Stovall doesn't get a ton, but he's good. He had seven catches, heck, best game in a while. You have Dubs, you have Cooks, you have Fortin. You have four receivers who are really good. And it, I don't know, I don't know, Cole Turner had just one catch. Torrey Horton had three catches. Like, it's, it's all credit to Kansas State defense to slowing them down that fourth quarter because they put up passing, did well, the freaking rushing game, couldn't do anything, and that's kind of been – like if we were looking at the weakness throughout the year or off season coming in, we kind of felt the running game would be a step behind, but nothing like this, nothing. I, I mean, I think the results is a reflection of Kansas State, you know, maybe being a little better than everybody thought than it says about Nevada. I think, you know, Kansas State yeah, just out-schemed yeah. them in this game and, and and kind of asserted their will, if you will, um, just to be able to run the ball and say, okay, we're going to keep doing this until he can stop us. And so when you look they at some dominated of the, Stanford week one, that's exactly. two people. Stanford's better than they think, and they crushed them 24-7. Yeah. So, you know, I think, and I think it's fair to say, too, maybe especially given the last couple of weeks as well, that Kansas State is better than Cal was. <laughs> Everybody's better than Cal. <laughs> and so I think, you know, this is not necessarily the kind of result that's going to necessarily doom the Wolfpack's chances at, at claiming a championship or something like that. But I can guarantee you that everybody, everybody in the Mountain West is watching that game closely, or will be, you know, aware of the fact that, you know, if they game plan properly, that Nevada can be pushed around on the ground, and that's something that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming they're going to try and start working out on the practice field. I believe they have a bye this week, right? Yeah, Boise State in two weeks, and then they yes. get Boise State in two weeks. Um, and we'll mm-hmm. talk more about the Broncos in a little bit, but that's going to be a big time game for both teams for for some very significant reasons. I have not completed my like overreactions, but um, I think I think I came up with one now. Can I can I call Nevada just done for their conference championship? Is that too? Uh, I mean, if you're looking for an overreaction, um, that's the point of it. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I think the realistic thing is, you know, they got, they got punched in the mouth. And so now the question is, well, how are they going to respond? There's that too. I'll put it, but it is overreaction because what I mentioned earlier, when they play San Diego State, San Jose State, um, well, we'll talk about Boise State's defense who Jalen Warren rushed over whatever 200 yards, a couple of touchdowns, got whatever he rushed for a lot, a ton of yards. And that's what I'm going for, man. I'm going for the overreaction. I can, why not? It's early enough where I can make some bold swings and be fine. But the, the rushing attack and defense, just to rushing overall, that's like, what's Greg Bell going to do against this team? I mean, what's Ronnie Rivers going to do? Like, Tyler Evans could have a field day. Like, there's going to be some problems here. So we'll get to them later. We'll figure, we'll talk about all that later. But overreactions is, it's, it's extreme. Well, I mean, so then what's your overreaction for the Cowboys based on this result? 45 to 12. So I, I have it right here, man. They're going to lead them conference and scoring per game. Why not? Okay. All right. Hey, 
95, that may not be bold enough because that's 95 points in two games, right? They put up 50 versus NIU, 45. They own the MAC. They're going to be the MAC champions. <laughs> They're the best team in the world. They both play in the MAC West, right? Ball State and, and Northern Illinois. I couldn't tell you. I forget where the Cardinals play on the top of my head. But yeah, you know, because I've seen the same thing going around about like BYU and, and San Diego State being Pac-12 the, South. Pac-12 yeah. South champions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this game was sort of complete domination from start to finish. Obviously, I think, you know, you could say the Cowboys let up a little in the second half, but you know, in the first half when, when Ball State was ostensibly going for it, like they, they eat the Cardinals alive on both sides of the ball, right? Another, also, there's a pick six on defense there. Chad so that's, Luma. Uh, yeah, huge Chad Luma. That's a, one of our questions. Is he the early favorite for defensive player of the year? I think he's on the short list. Yeah. Like he, he's, not a, he's out, not a runaway yeah. pick because there, because there is no runaway pick yet because there are several people that I, I, I think we'll probably touch upon nearly all of them throughout the course of this podcast. But yeah, Muma's playing great you know, football Justin Rice? right now. <laughs> that too. Um, yeah, he, yeah, you know, obviously, six, you know, the pick, the, pick six are, the pick six is grabby, but, you know, he also leads the conference in tackles right now, too, Muma does. You know, he had 12 in this game, um, and obviously that's like the, you know, kind of the major contributions, but, you know, you look elsewhere and you really see that this was a team effort. You know, Easton Gibbs, the other linebacker, you know, had eight eight tackles in a, in a sack. You know, Ravonte Holt had a big game with five tackle or yeah, yeah, five tackles and, and two and a half tackles for loss. Solomon Berg had a had a sack. You know, they basically just everybody who was expected to be a contributor did something in this game. And we didn't even mention that Keon Blankenbaker had a pick six as well. Like it, it got bad it. enough. It got bad well, enough to all state that they benched their quarterback, Drew Plitt, after going only eight of fourteen for sixty yards. This Wyoming team, like, this is sort of overactive, but not really. But we've discussed this before, like, with San Diego State, if they have a good quarter, decent quarterback. Wyoming, okay, yes, they scored two tu- 14 points off turn, uh, direct points, not even short field, but four, two touchdowns off of turnovers. Mm-hmm. Their offense, if they have any resemblance of a passing game, it's pretty good. Like, they've kind of had that. Like, when they had Josh Allen, they were obviously really good. But And Brian Hill was there. That was obviously the reason why they were contending for the Mountain West Championship. Like, that's mm-hmm. why they were right there. They have that again now with Sean Chambers. Not that Chambers is going to be a Josh Allen. But he's 14-23, over 200 yards. They throw it to, what, eight, eight nine different receivers. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're swinging around. They're going downfield. And the offense is matching the defense just about. So, that's what's going to make them a contender because we always felt preseason it was Boise State. Well, I mean, that's about it. There's more teams in the mix up and down. But they're the way they played offensively, they're a team. Like the like I said, the Mountain West is really good. There's a lot of good football out there for a lot of conferences with all these extra year player back, players back, I should say. That's not necessarily the case with Wyoming because Sean Chambers has been around. Xavon Valley has been around. Um, receivers were new last year and they weren't that great. So it's, this isn't like a team that's loaded with six year guys that are coming back to play. Their depth is probably no, no it, it is though. And that's, that was what we talked about coming into the year is like, you know, obviously, you know, they weren't getting this, the, the level of production that they hoped for in 2020, but we knew this was one of the most experienced teams in the country. And after some kind of early rust, you know, the, like the offense was a little shaky against Montana State. And then the defense was shaky late against Northern Illinois. This was the first time that I would say that they put it all together 
Yeah, yeah because the offense. Well, I just mean, like, there's not like, yeah. Because the offense was, you know, was good enough to take advantage of the opportunities presented to it. You know, Sean Chambers, you know, had a, had another, you know, I would say above the average game, 14 of 23, 201 yards and a touchdown, you know, between him, you know, and a ground game in which, you know, not necessarily a ton of big runs. You know, obviously, Xavier Valaday had a, had a 33-yarder. But, you know, Valaday, Titus Swin averaged over four yards carry, and, and Diawan McNeely got into the mix with six carries and averaged awesome. eight yards per. It was an all-around quality performance. And kind of to your point about how, you know, we aren't ex- necessarily expecting Chambers to be Josh Allen, I think it is worth noting that at least through three games, and I'm, and I'm, I'm not looking to raise anybody's expectations too far. Do it. But, his pa- do it. but, but Chambers' passer rating through three games is almost exactly the same as Josh Allen's was when the Cowboys won the Mountain Division in 2016. That's fair. But also, also to recall, Josh Allen's part of that too is passing percentage, which his is not, wasn't all that great. He was like 55%. Like for the year, I'm looking right now that year, 2016, for 56. the year, he was only 50, 56%, 15 interceptions. So they don't need, like if he could be like, not that he has to be better what Josh Allen could bring to the table, but they're a little bit better. They're about 60% and don't have as many interceptions. Yeah. I, mean, I, I guess what I was trying to do is I was trying to put like, you know, you know, how good he's been in context because oh, he's yeah. been pretty good. You know, he's, he's been yeah. a pleasant surprise and, and I would, I would imagine it's only going to get a little better for him against UConn next week. Um, oh, everybody's <laughs> favorite. I need to but, you know, uh, make a quick to our trip at the over. I think you know, what, what we what we've seen, especially in the last couple of weeks, is that you know that side of the ball is is coming into form in the way that everybody expected that it, it that that they hoped it would in the preseason. Yeah, that's what off season was saying. The uh, passing game, like we're going to pass the ball a lot. We're going to get everybody involved, and they did. They had this game what three, four, five, yeah. six, seven. So, the, so eight, you know, they, they don't, they don't necessarily have like, a couple, a couple backfield. Yeah. So they don't necessarily have like the season defining win on their ledger just yet, you know, in the same way that like a Fresno state does or, or something like that. Um, but they, they, they're starting to play at a pretty high level. And so, you know, if they, if they maintain that into conference play, then, you know, don't let, don't let the Cowboys sneak up on you. Cause they're sort of, they're, they're sort of rounding in the form, I would say. And they're not going to be scared of anybody because their competitive window so, is wide open. So they have you a buy before Air Force and they host Fresno State. Are they going to be five and oh when they host Fresno State? I think they could be. Cause they get UConn and Air Force on the road. I mean, Air Force is never easy. Um, obviously we'll talk about more about them in a little bit. But yeah, I mean, what the, if Wyoming plays the way they, uh, against Air Force the way they did against, uh, Ball State, then yeah, they're going to be 5-0 by the time that game comes around. Just don't do a Montana State, right? You can't yeah. do that. <laughs> I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. 
Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, so let's move on to the next game here. What do we got next year? Is it uh, is it a surprise be, victory of the weekend? That is correct. If you saw this coming, you're lying, people. Coach Adazio didn't see this coming. Winning twenty two to six over the fight in Toledo Rockets. Um, so let's see. The Rams defense showed up at least on the ground game. The passing, no touchdowns. The deep secondary could be a bit better, but six points. Like, this is the defense we felt would be, because we always said they'd be really good. They had freaking 10 TFLs and six sacks. This, like, is, the de- this, this is, is the defense that I expected to see. Yeah. And this was, wow. Like, I tuned in a little bit. I'm like, oh, they're not going to win. I'm like, what the? I saw the score. I'm like, holy crap. It's close at halftime. You kind of see what's going on. But Toledo moved the ball in the air a little bit. But, yeah, you see 22 or 36 for what Bradley did. But he was harassed all night. There was... Little to no running game, like 21 yards total, and that includes sack yards. Like, this defense in the front was going crazy. Like, McBride had a sack and a half. You had Kamara with three and a half sacks. Or two, two, ah, three and a half TFLs, a couple sacks, two and a half sacks. You had everybody out there making plays. It was, and they, when they were missing players too, like when I did the preview, like they're missing a couple linebacker, missing guys in the first half who, due to targeting, they may not have this guy, they may not have that guy. Like, they didn't have a running back in there, but what the heck? Who? What, what is like? What is David Bailey doing? How does? It, where does this performance come from? Thirty attempts, hundred thirty-two yards. Santeo had, had a pretty good job on the ground. He didn't throw very well, but he didn't need to. They didn't have Dante Wright. Like they didn't need to throw to McBride. He had nine of the eleven catches were to him. He was their main target, and Toledo could not stop him at all. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's let's take that through uh, one thing at a time. Um, if, I know. I went if you were surprised everything. by they David Bailey, well. it's because you hadn't been paying attention. You know, part of part of why David Bailey hadn't really had the breakout performance yet is because Colorado State had been trailing in most of the time uh, in the games that Not they played. Not my fault. I'm just saying. <laughs> and so, you know, he's a guy that looks like he's getting stronger from week to week, and you know, if that's an element yeah. of the game that they can hang on to. Then, you know, between him and Centeo, who, who pitched in with 62 yards himself on the ground, like that, that'll play in, in conference play. You know what I mean? Um, it I is. think, you know, the, the bigger problem well, the, is that the reason I felt it was bad, not bad, but the reason I was surprised, yes, he's improved 46, 80 to 132, but 25% of his yardage came on one play versus Vanderbilt. So that's mm-hmm. why I'm like to have him improve, like, double the carries, which is amazing, and keep the production fairly level. That's what I'm kind of surprised at. He didn't have a big swing of yards. He only had a 15-yard long play. 
And so it wasn't like not the not all the yards matter, but he wasn't boomer bust guy or getting most of his carries like he did for Vanderbilt when like 20 yards out of 80 was long play. He was more efficient and more consistent in his ground game. So that's where I'm surprised about how he kind of overall was able to do that. So that's kind of what I'm getting at. So, so like, I, I still don't know how concerned I should be that, 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 that they seem to rely upon nobody else but McBride and Dante Wright. And you mentioned that Wright hey, didn't play in this game. But like, you know, 15 targets and nobody else on the team has three. You know, Dave, uh, Bailey had three targets out of the backfield. Like, that does not strike me as something that's going to play in the long run. Um, no. <laughs> so, so, you know, like, no. I think they could get away with it against. He's got one catch minus three yards. No. Would work well. Yeah, you know, and, and, and Toledo was dealing with like, you know, some, some defensive issues. They, like, they were sort of out of sorts, I'd say, on both sides of the ball. Like, they didn't really get much pressure on Centeo that I can recover. I know they had, like, a, a handful of QB hurries, but they never managed to bring him down. And so, nope. you know, you look at the fact that, you know, they were 4 of 17 on, on third downs, for example. You know, they scored on all three of their red zone chances, but that's because, you know, Caden Camper ended up with five field goals, um, only two of which were from beyond 40 yards. So they didn't necessarily capitalize as much as they could have on all the opportunities that were presented to them. And the defense was doing such a good job that it didn't matter. But that's the kind of thing where like, if they can't get that sorted out, you know, then that, you know, that right there is the difference between, you know, winning another game like this, you know, by punching it in for six, you know, a little more often versus, you know, maybe the defense falters and all of a sudden you have another Vanderbilt game on your hand or something like that. So still, still a lot of question marks, but you know, that, that defense and special teams, which, you know, we didn't even mention Thomas Benunzio with the 70 yard punt return, uh, and, and Ryan Stonehouse having another quality game averaging over 50 yards a punt. Heck yeah. Defense and special teams, I think, was always designed to lead the way, but the offense has to do a little bit more to, to, to do its part. And, you know, same as we talked about with New Mexico a few minutes ago, I don't necessarily know how much we're going to learn from their game against Iowa next week. Yeah. Um, but you know, we'll sort of kind of wait and see, I guess. Yeah, that's the thing. So like getting inside that close and not getting touched. It's not that they're like inside the goal line. There's a four, there's the field goal from the what 29 yard field goal. And they had the, they weren't chip shots. They had like one or two that were pretty close. I guess yeah. two of them though. There's really only two, the fourth and goal at the six, like the two field goals and 30, like you mentioned, short ones. Punch those in. It looks much better when you have 30 to six. He scored eight, four more points each, eight total. But you're right. Like if there's a game where they settle for field goals because they can't get close or some whatever they get stuffed, and then also special teams touchdown as well. So their offense wasn't really that great moving the ball. Like they were like seven points on the return, all the field goals, two short field goals. Yeah, this still leaves the offense a lot to desire, despite Bailey having a good day, good day in the ground because Centeno throwing the ball wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. He was pressured. A bit, but never got sacked. Like he ran, like his combined yards fine, but eleven twenty seven is not good enough. Like Toledo's not apparently not very good this year. They're not a good football team. But it doesn't matter. Neither neither are the Rams. And there's they get the victory. It's good. But there's a lot of areas like he went through, like the third down conversions, the so many field goals, not finding extra receivers to throw the ball besides three guys on the field. They 
can't do this against a team that's better when they play in conference play like Utah State or Boise or Air Force or Wyoming. Everybody in the mountain except New Mexico, essentially. Maybe even New Mexico, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Lobos and Rams aren't that far off. And so it's good to get the win, but there's a lot to look at to where if they play somebody who can move the ball a bit better on the ground or something, they're not going to come away victorious because Bradley threw it reasonably well. He's efficient throwing the ball, 22 to 36. Their rush defense is great. They got to the quarterback. Defense is really, really good. But there's – I'm not trying to be downer, but there's areas where they could still – so here's a good thing. They get a victory while still not playing amazingly great, particular in offense. Mm-hmm. That's how I'll put it. So there we go. All right. Is it time for Utah San Diego State? That it is. Okay. Did you see Darren Ravel try to mess with me on Twitter apparently for some reason? I did not. So he put out there, and I was wrong, but it's just so funny because somebody bet – no, the over-under was 44. Oh, like, I did down. see that. It goes to triple over. I did see that. <laughs> and so the fun- the dumbest thing is, like, it goes to triple overtime, and now in the third overtime you have to go for two. So mm-hmm. that makes whatever. But – it was 44. The guy goes, he's like, that's a bold bet. 66,000 for the over, or excuse me, for the under. And most people are like, that's not bold. This game, it's like, whatever. And I'm like, for, I know, I know why he replied to me because he probably, his mentions are probably set up. If you're verified, he'll see those more often because mm-hmm. that's how you can make your mentions be that way where, and so mine probably popped up and he's like, dude, he's like, bold. I'm like, have you even seen the Aztecs? And then he writes back, you were wrong or something. I, I put back, I'm like, okay, it's not my money. I don't care. I still don't think it's that bold of a bet to take the under. Yeah, sixty six grand. But I'm like, dude, like it was just funny that he came back and said I was wrong. I'm like, okay, it's not my money. I don't care. It's not your money. But the only reason they got to sixty four points is win. However, there's only sixteen points in overtime. But here's the here's the truth about this game. The Aztecs almost blew. They nearly blew this game and did not play well in the second half. Well, excuse me, the fourth quarter they did not play well. They had a big league, a two-touchdown lead. Utah needed a touchdown, a touchdown, and a two-point conversion just to go to overtime. That's that's not good for San Diego State. However, they still played well. They still beat Utah. They dominated the line scrimmage, especially, particularly the rushing defense because Utah's Micah DeBernard had a long of eight. Their running back had a, a long of eight and only 47 yards. They knocked out Cam Brewer, or excuse me, not Cam Brewer. I got the, I got the guys mixed up. Cam Rising, Charlie Brewer. Charlie Brewer, Brewer played like trash. And like, okay, you knocked the starting quarterback out, but this was a game where Aztecs are as good or, well, they're better than Utah, but their defense is what we had said, Matt. Their defense is going to stop Utah's rushing attack. And they're going to run the ball with Greg Bell, which they did. And my man Lucas Johnson came and got to victory. Just saying. <laughs> Make him the starter, right? I mean, he, okay, okay, 10 of 19 for 44. I know, I know, I know. I'm just kidding, half kidding. Hey, did you see his 87 rushing yards? That 54-yard was pretty impressive. See, okay, I'm wondering if I'm I'm the only one that got, like, really strange vibes watching this game. In what way? Like even when even when Utah was rallying, I never really had any belief that the Utes were actually going to win this game. You know what? Neither did I. And I like want my Utes to win every game they play, and they were playing so bad. I did not like the two point conversion. I'm like, what the hell? I'm glad they did because like, oh, overtime, Utah, great, awesome. But I had no confidence in what's going on for them because 
Like, looking back at when they played BYU, and even when they played Weaver State, they gave up their push around against freaking Weaver State, special team miscues, which happened here because San Diego State had the kick return, or the whatever the return for a touchdown with mm-hmm. the um, Jordan, was Jordan Bird touchdown return. Like, yeah. they had that huge difference for him, 100-yarder. So I knew they'd get pushed around because Aztecs are – the defense, San Diego State and BYU are pretty, fairly similar. They got some big, they're kind of a similar strength and whatnot. So I knew it would be close, but then special teams came to play. And I figured, okay, they can, their defense should be good enough. And I knew Greg Bell gets some yards. Like, Greg Bell didn't have like this off the chart day. 119 yards is still good, but it's not amazing. You know what I mean? Like, it's solid, but it's not like what he's going off for 150, 160. So that was good enough, but I just, don't trust Utah's offense, and it's it's been the same for a decade. Like for quarterback play, not to go into too much shoot stuff. But like outside of having who was it, um, Tyler Huntley two years ago, and even him, I didn't trust him until halfway through the season when they moved to the Pac-12 title game. Like they've had not they have not had a good quarterback since Brian Johnson was there, or even a good offense because freaking everybody here knows about Andy Ludwig. He was at Utah before. He's been at, he was at San Diego State for a couple years. There's a reason he's not a head coach anywhere because the offensive play calling is not great, but. I never felt like, yeah, I, I kind of felt Asics that fourth quarter wasn't good because Utah made, made that run. I'm like, oh, here they come. It's what's going to happen. I, it just felt See, the fourth okay, quarter okay. wasn't so, so, so calling it a run I, feels like really charitable. In my opinion, I, 14, it was 14. like that, that fourth quarter was agonizing to watch, but it's not because Utah was blowing San Diego State out of the water, in my opinion. Like yo, okay, so, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put this I'm gonna put this in context for those of you who didn't watch the game. So, you know, to your point, you know, you said there was like a, you know the first three quarters where San Diego State was up 24 to 10, and mm-hmm. you know they knocked Brewer out of the game. They were you know the op the, like the defensive line was was uh, what's what's the term eaten that they they use a lot <laughs> yeah. of or Ezekiel or whatever. You know, Cameron Thomas was all over the place. Caden McDonald was all over the place. They had three sacks in the in the first three quarters. But even when Utah rallied, like it, it still took rising 16, 26 passes, you know, 16 of 26. He only threw for 117 yards. I know. They didn't I, necessarily exactly. run, they didn't necessarily run the ball that well. Like they, they only could. averaged 4.6 yards per play in the fourth quarter. The problem was that San Diego State's offense suddenly got super anemic and it wasn't like outside of Bell, they were exactly lighting the world on fire. Um, you know, you look at the fact that their, their lone two third down conversions in the game were third and short. Like once it got to third and five or longer, they basically had no chance to extend the play. Yeah. Cause Lucas Johnson can't throw the ball very well. Yeah. And, and, and of course they had the one lost fumble in the fourth quarter, which played a huge difference. Um, it was just like, it was so strange to watch. Cause like you, you saw Utah making the comeback. But you still didn't really feel convinced that they were actually going to be able to like win the game in overtime. And, you know, when it, when it got down to it, you know, they had the one kind of nice play. I think it was in, what was it? The first overtime to answer with the, I think it was, uh, what's his name? Dixon had the one play touchdown catch or whatever. But, you know, the, the questionable play call they had once it got down to that two point conversion scenario, it was like a really kind of low percentage. Not even a goal line fade, just like a out route just inside the the, the goal line. <sighs> not know. the not the call I would have made. Um, <laughs> no, nobody. Yeah, nobody. not like I said, not the prettiest performance in the world. But 
know, and, and I give most of this, this credit to the, to the Aztecs defense, which, you know, eight tackles for loss, three sacks, you know, yeah. they stepped up and they made plays when it mattered most, you know, and it, even when rising was, was kind of rallying the youths late, you know, they also had eight pass breakups as a defense as well. And a lot of that is owed to what was a very stingy, um, you know, secondary. And they, and they played the second half of that game with Patrick, without Patrick McMorris, who I believe got popped for targeting and was ejected, wasn't he? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like, Rising played well, but he wasn't moving the ball down the field. He moved them to score, but he wasn't going downfield. His, like you mentioned, his total yardage wasn't great. The yards per attempt wasn't great. But it didn't matter. He moved it well enough to get them back in the game for Utah. And the State's defense, it's both. The defense kind of stumbled in that fourth quarter. But the offense the ran out of teams. Plays Let's not forget about the special play. teams, too. Like, you yeah, know, Jordan, recovery touchdown. Yeah. yeah, Jordan Bird had the 100-yard kickoff return. Yeah. Matt Ariza had, had 10 punts, and five of them landed inside the 20. Five of them went for over 50 yards. He's been lights out. Yeah. And it's, and, and, you know, he made, he made a field goal from 51. And, you know, so you look at the fact that like he missed the one in overtime. Um, but you know, it, obviously it worked out. So it wasn't necessarily a huge deal. Um, and you know, the, the one that he missed in the fourth quarter was from 48 yards. So it wasn't like that was necessarily a gimme either. Yeah. He's continued to have an excellent year. And so, you know, you have to wonder, like, okay, I'm gonna, I would imagine they're going to give Brookshaw back the starting job when he's when he gets healthy, and I'm, I'm assuming, like, if he's healthy next week, that we'll see him back under center. But for the most part, like, I felt better about the Aztecs coming out of this game than I did coming in, just because, you know, they leaned on their strengths, and even when things got dicey, like, they found a way to win, you know, by doing the unexpected. Like, we, did, we haven't even talked about the fact that they pulled out the Philly special. In the third end around toss pass back. Hey, yeah, do what you gotta do. You know what I mean? Like that's not something you would ever think about from a San Diego State offense, but they made it work. Yeah. And, yeah. and so it was. It was just a. It was a good game all the all the way around for San Diego State. Like you know, which is sort of strange to say when you consider they gave up 31 points. But like they were honest. They, they Utah Utah never had it easy in this game. Oh no, they they made which, it hard on themselves. Why, like, which is the only... why I felt like even when San Diego State was kind of playing it close to the vest down the stretch, I still felt like they were going to come out and win the game. Yeah, I, I did too. Like even Utah coming back, I'm like, okay, when it got to overtime, anything can go because you're 25 yards out. So yeah. that was concerning. But like, I I still felt Aztecs were playing better. It mm-hmm. just the fourth quarter wasn't ideal for them for the handful of plays that ran. But so what does this put? Like I, I kind of overact like Nevada out of the title race. Not really, but the way they played, not great. Does this convince you Asics are better than people thought? Because Utah's not very good this year. They lost to BYU, who's obviously really good. They struggled versus Weber State a little bit. They struggle here against Aztecs because they can't move the ball on the ground. The passing game wasn't wasn't great. They had to score on special teams to keep it close. Do you think the Aztecs, the way they played, can beat Nevada, beat Fresno State, beat San Jose State? I think we saw kind of like the best possible version that you know to date last week against Arizona, and and this week's version because yeah. they were without Brookshire is definitely a little more compromised. But you know this is a team like I think they would have lost this game if they had played it like last year or two years ago. Like they would have faded down the stretch or something. 
Or they, yeah, or they just would have given up one too many big plays or something like that. This year's team, like they're, you know, if they're not the number one contender, like they've definitely proven that they belong in the mix a little more so than, than some other teams that I think we expected to be more in the mix and that, you know, have more serious problems than just haven't been able to overcome them to this point. Okay. That's good. They're like, well, I mean, a little bit, like I mentioned, we mentioned years, if Aztecs get a little bit better QB play and the Arizona game is ideal where, um, Brookshire, I forget what he was, but he's what, 10 of 18 or something, just above 50% during just enough yards, no interceptions. So Johnson brings a running element to it, so it's a little bit different, but we'll see how it goes. But I think the way the defensive front played, like they, like we didn't mention, like how many TFLs? They had eight TFLs, seven QB hurries, three sacks. Like they were dominant defensively. Utah did it, yeah, they threw for 257 yards and three scores, but it wasn't anything downfield really. They had a couple, Handful of plays over ten plus yards, but the biggest play was just that twenty five yarder mm-hmm. to, to Jalen Dixon. So it's like, yeah, whatever, that's fine. We'll give that up. But like I said before, last week coming in, Brett Keith, he's the only guy that can catch the ball very well. They have like Brent Covey finally showed up, but it's funny he had eight catches but for only forty six yards. It's like that, what is that? that about? Yeah, exactly, totally does. He did have the kick return for a touchdown, and his one receiving touchdown was a pretty good play. That Well, I think that, that was his long play, but he's not a downfield threat. It's like, uh, give me five yards, and hopefully I can out-juke you and spin the spin and go downfield. So mm. they they handled them pretty well, and so it's a good win for San Diego State. They're 3-0, and and they have one more non-conference game, right? Uh, yeah, they, they have... host Towson. Oh, never mind. But moving on, next game, where are we going here? Uh, that would be our first conference game of the year. The best game of the day, perhaps? Most exciting wild, game wild, of the Wildest game of the day, that's for sure. Aggies are 3-0 for the first time since 1978, which partially because they'd always have to play the bye games every week till October, essentially, so mm-hmm. it doesn't help the Big West days. But they... this. 36 second half points, Matt. They were down 24 to 13. I'm like, God, oh, this game's over. Air Force is just going to run the ball, take out, take care of business. But no, Utah State's offense, like they, what is, should my other overreaction be that the two quarterback system actually works for once? <laughs> With Andrew well, Beasley and Logan they Bonner, didn't what bust they did. that out on purpose. They busted that out because Logan Bonner got hurt. I know. I'm just saying. That. Hey, let me have my reactions if I want. That's why I could be a little sneaky about it. But, but no, I did see that. But I was like, I am surprised at how well that, um, well, I guess both play, but how well Peasley came in and like, oh, you got a touchdown. They'll give me like three touchdowns. I'll, I'll, I'll give you multiple touchdowns and I'll take your job. So that was a kind of not a surprise, but a surprise how well they, he played off the bench because you expect, okay, you're not playing all game. You might get expectation. Like if we look at prior games, you'd get a couple, plays here or there, but he comes in and does extremely well. And Air Force just their defense, which we thought was really, 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 really good, may not be that good. May not be as good as we thought because give up second half was not good for them. You know what I mean? Like I said, thirty six points. Offense if their offense scores forty five, they expect Air Force to win. I don't remember. I'd have to look it up, but I don't remember the last time Air Force has given up this many points. I remember what was it, the Navy game a couple years ago? It was like score for score, and it was like forty nine, forty two, or something like that. Whatever, well, everybody okay. was scoring touchdowns. So, so you, I, think you, I think you may be overlooking the fact that both of these defenses gave up over six hundred yards of total offense. 
I know I haven't gotten Utah State's defense. I'm just going off. I'm getting there. But yeah, neither defense played well. Come on, you give up 40-something points each. Nobody's played well defensively. I mean, I think what surprised me the most is that Air Force wasn't able to get more consistent pressure on the Aggies. Um, you know, they did manage a couple of first half sacks, you know, both of which came from Vince Sanford. That was pretty much it though. Like they didn't really get a lot of pressure on Bonner, you know, until he got, you know, whacked during the touchdown pass to Justin McGriff. But, you know, even once Peasley came into the game, like, you know, they made a couple nice plays and that was pretty much it. I think that to me was the more surprising thing. And the fact that, you know, Calvin Tyler Jr., I think sort of compliment, he complimented this, like we, he's another guy, I think we, like we talked about with David Bailey a little bit ago, has really come on strong week after week. And I think, you know, his emergence kind of makes the Blake Anderson offense the best possible version it can be. You know, 19 carries, 132 yards. You know, he had the, the 61 yard touchdown run that really yeah. kind of sealed the deal, put them up on top or good late in the game. But, you know, this offense, can, this offense can go places like that's that much seems apparent. And like to your point about, you know, maybe not necessarily a two quarterback system, but now they know they have quarterback depth. And that was something I put out on Twitter, you know, during the game because, you know, Peasley, you know, he, he had a, you know, a couple of nice stretches last year, but, you know, for the most part, you know, it was very uneven. He looked sharp in this Bunchers game. A like, mess. You know, he, got, he got chucked in there for no reason. That was difficult last year. You know, Bonner got nicked up, Peasley stepped in, and the offense didn't miss a beat. And that, I think, is the best possible compliment you can give to, to Anderson and to offensive coordinator Anthony Tucker. Because they, you know, they found ways to spread the ball around. Like four different guys caught five touchdowns from, from Bonner and Peasley. Um, Tom, you know, they, deep pass, man. Oof. That ball yeah, was nice. That was a pretty pass, wasn't it? Yeah, seven, was it 72 yards, I think, 70 plus. You know, and, and Brandon right. Bowling has kind of, you know, come to come out as being like, you know, the, the conference's ultimate security blanket. You know, nine catches, 136 mm-hmm. yards, two scores. Justin McGriff pitched in with, with six catches on eight targets. You know, Carson Terrell played limited snaps, but he had two catches and a touchdown. Like this is a complete offense that, that, you know, did well to move the ball pretty much at will against a, a defense that came into this game looking pretty sharp itself. So like it's 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 a credit to Utah State that they were like at the upper hand and never really relinquished it. Yeah, and then we had the end of the game to Justin Rice fumble to basically seal the victory with what two and a half minutes left. Mm-hmm. So that was a clear forty nine forty five. He gets the fumble, basically take the game over. But again, you're right. Like that's a good thing. Like we knew the quarterback competition was close because Peasley and Coach Anderson said, "Poor, it's good." Peasley Bonner, we're not sure yet. They both will play. But them coming in and playing, like you said, not who knows if if um, Bonner played the whole game, he had five touchdowns. Maybe he did. Maybe he thrown for four hundred fifty yards and five touchdowns, whatever it may be. But it doesn't matter because well, it does matter that the depth is there. So if there is an issue with injury, there's no concern. Mm-hmm. And so that's huge. The running game, you're right. Like I don't know what happened to Bonte Henry calls even on the team and even getting carries like two weeks ago. It's like I don't even care about him anymore. And you got Tyler there running the ball. So like you talk to like they like. How shocked, like, that they're this good. Like, nobody thought they'd be this good. They thought we all, everybody predicted them to be, like, basically above, probably above Colorado State. You know what I mean? Nobody thought they'd be, they'd be, like, on par with the Rams, essentially, battling for third. Like, this is a team where, why can't they beat Wyoming? Why can't they beat Boise State? Why can't they beat whoever they play at West? 
scoring 49 points against a defense that's really good, they're going to be able to, like, when they play well, I mean, heck, not to say they'll score 50, but they can put up some points within being more well-rounded, as you said. I think they're going to have to prove in conference play that they, that they that they won't break or that they won't bend quite so often now. Because, like I said, yeah, that's a problem. Air, Air Force <laughs> had over 600 yards of total offense, too. Um, and, yeah, and they were they were hitting big plays left and right. It seemed like you know not only you know in the on, on the ground, which you know you might expect that, um, but you know they had eight carries that gained a combined 265 yards on the ground, including you know three different touchdowns, two of which were from uh, Emmanuel Michael, who you know. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I had never heard of him until he was running for 51 and 55 yards to Pater. Um, you know, it's, so they were just like, they were hitting big plays. Like even like from the get go, they had a, what on their very first drive, third and nine, you know, Zeke Daniels finds a 59 yard pass to Kyle Patterson to set up a touchdown. You know, he has a 56 yard touchdown to, to, to Micah Davis in the second quarter. Air Force pushed them. Just as much, just as much as they pushed the Air Force defense. Yeah. The biggest difference in this game was that Utah State made big plays when it counted where, where Air Force couldn't. And I think that, you know, obviously the forced fumble at the end is, is the biggest one that changes things in terms of like win probability. But don't forget too that, you know, Air Force had a turnover on downs. I think it, what was it in the first or the second quarter that they had that drive? It was early on. Yeah. Somewhere in the first half. I don't recall when. Or yeah, and and then they had the the interception that Justin Rice had that very yeah, could have that easily changed the tenor of the game too. So it's one of those things where you know a handful of things go differently, and this is a, a different result. I would say both teams played it's only well. Four points, so yeah, four points. Yeah, or maybe it wasn't a maybe it wasn't a goal line stand. I might have been thinking of like they held him out of the end zone or something like that. Um. I might have been thinking about a different game. I apologize. Sure, but like, there's a million things that could go differently. Like, had Utah State not gone for the fourth, fourth, like, there's a couple of things here and there. It's a four point game, and you score so many points, things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, Air Force had its way on the ground doing what they want to do. Like, as a team, they averaged six point nine yards per carry. That's pretty good for Air Force, especially considering yeah. that you know, to that point in the season, they've been sort of lackluster on a per carry basis. But, you know, Michael had the big plays. Roberts, Brad Roberts went over 100 yards with 20 carries. You know, he was the hammered. Hazik Daniels also contributed again on the ground. In between what he did in the air and on the ground, 270 yards of total offense. And like that, too, is pretty good for an Air Force quarterback. So, like, the result obviously didn't go the way that Falcons fans hoped that it would. But, you know, both teams look like they're plenty capable of being a thorn in the side of, of any team that we thought would be kind of like those top tier contenders in the Mountain West. So neither team is likely to, you know, to make it easy for anybody else. No. And like end of the game, like when I felt, when I saw what happened, like Utah State third, fourth quarter, when it was 45, 34, I kind of thought the game was over mm-hmm. just because oh, 11 points, there's not a ton of time left. You know what I mean? Like it's getting time to get fourth quarter with 10 and a half minutes left. They need two scores. Mm-hmm. The offense shows up a touchdown fairly quick, three plays. It forced a quick turnover, the six play and punt. Like they came back and scored reasonably quick. Like both those drives took under two, took basically two minutes. Mm-hmm. And I, we knew they could quick strike. We 
because they had 70, 72 yards before they moved the ball. So I actually felt like, okay, Air Force defense, because prior to that, they had the interception, they forced a punt. Utah State's offense was kind of sluggish a little bit. They mm-hmm. weren't playing extremely well. So I kind of felt when they got that touchdown, Air Force did, I kind of thought it was over. But I guess had a second wind in them to go down. But, like, are they going to win the Mountain Division? I don't know. But why can't like why can't either team beat beat anybody else in the Mountain Division? That's true. The break could be a factor, one way or another. Like, who's your who's your favorite in the Mountain Division? Is it Wyoming at the moment? Is it Utah State? I mean, I think based on what I thought of, like based based in part of what I expected to see in the preseason and what I've seen so far, I, I try to balance both of those things. I I would still say that Wyoming has the inside track, but you know, I thought Utah State would take a leap forward, and. You know, based on how well they clean up, you know, we could be talking about a bowl eligible team versus a team that steals a division, which, you know, we've, we've mm-hmm. seen it happen in the past. All right. Well, we'll see. Yeah. I think that's the mountain division's a bit, not that it's more, not as difficult as the West, but it's going to be more competitive than we thought. Yeah. I mean, if this so is any indication of what, if this is any indication of what's to come, I'm like super excited to see what comes next. Heck yeah, I've been wanting the Mountain, the West Division, now the Mountain, like Utah State, Boise, Wyoming, Boise, Wyoming, Utah State, Air Force versus whoever. Heck, maybe the Rams will do something weird. You know what I mean? <laughs> the defense could be. Speaking of but, Boise. Uh, all right, I know. 21-20. Oklahoma State is victorious. Thanks to, not who's he going to say, but thanks to Jalen Warren. Former Utah State Aggie finally gets over on the Broncos. <laughs> 218 yards and two touchdowns. Huge 75-yard run. All right, so do we need to talk about the one play, or does it matter? Is it more than the one play? It's more than the one play. I mean, I know I know the, the, the scoop and it's score a big that was one blown play, dead. Uh, yeah, I just I, – I understand. But – and between that and I think it was, was it the pass interference that was called in, later in the first half, Ugh. which – Enabled the the Cowboys to cut the lead to one to one score. Um, yeah, you know, I think you know maybe that those those two calls in part are off are offset by the fact that you know they had a really ticky tack roughing the passer called in the yeah, second half of this game. That. So like you know those are those are obviously things that make fans irate. You know, like those you know blown calls or whatever you want to call them. Um, but you know what the refs didn't do. Play brush defense. Play defensive line. Okay. Okay. So okay. Let's let's talk first about Jalen Warren. <laughs> let's talk first about that running game because it's important to remember this was a scoreless second half. Neither team scored. It was. It was. And and if Boise State's defense after halftime did its part. You know they held the Cowboys. They held Oklahoma State to three point eight yards per carry. Um, you know, they did have some trouble on like third downs, like the, you know, the Cowboys were still six of 12 somehow, but you know, they didn't necessarily, <laughs> they didn't necessarily move the ball at will. Like, you know, Spencer Sanders was only five of seven. And I think maybe that was the biggest difference in the game because he was one of six in the first half. Like he was a, he was a non-contributor in the first half, more or less, aside from with his legs. But, you know, after halftime, you know, the ground game that was, you know, working so well in the first half, 35 carries, 78 yards in the first half, 2.2 yards per carry. The defense did its part. The offense looked like a mess. And to me, based off of what I've seen in the first few games, 
I'm starting to like. Are you starting to worry about this Broncos offense? Yeah, because you mentioned in the winners and losers. Hey, Jordan Sawney's healthy. They're gonna be fine. He got what twenty yards. He couldn't move the ball. The offensive line couldn't do anything. Like they could not. There was no, like part of it's like okay, they're missing their center. That's that's a big deal. But your longest running plays by Hank Bachmeyer, a twelve yard run. George Sawney had twelve for twenty eight. Like Habibi Likidoa had twenty seven yards. It's like their running game was non existent. Their passing game was fine, but not great. But they could. They had sixty one freaking rushing yards. They couldn't do anything. Bachmeyer was chased around the field again. Seven QB hurries, seven TFLs, four sacks. The offensive line played like trash. And in, in turn, you can't have a good, I don't care who's back there running the ball. If you're not protected, if you can't get a chance to run, you're going to struggle. And that's a problem with Boise State. Again, like this is the third, this is the first time Holani's been healthy. We figure, okay, he'll be fine. But we figured, oh, it's just him not playing like last year. But no, it's, it's more than just not having him healthy back there. Cause he's healthy, didn't play well. The offensive line is not what we're used to seeing from Boise State. Or maybe it should be because, the Hank they, they complain about it year after year. I think it is what we've come to expect. Well, no, no, I'm just sorry. I'm just saying, like, it's been overshadowed where last year, whatever, but the year, I was getting to, like, that first game versus Florida State a couple years ago, Bachmeyer was getting crushed as a freshman, but he still had a good running game to kind of overlook that. Mm-hmm. But now when your running game is not moving the ball and your quarterback's getting hit more and you, you can't move the ball on the ground, okay, it's I know, I'm, I know it's an issue, but if your runners aren't able to do it as well, like if you get a hundred yards from Helani or your leading rusher average like ninety yards a game, okay, but you're still getting hit and sacked a little bit. You'll overlook that. And say okay, it's just something here or there. But now when both are being bad, it's a huge more spotlight on that position group that's not playing well. So it's well, more. It, 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 I guess it, it also didn't help that John Ojugu got hurt in this game too. Yeah, it's just you know. But, what would but, he have done? But, like but, if he's the whole game, would it would it have mattered? You know, obviously, like, I think the, the, the concerns in the trenches kind of magnify everything else, but also, like, who forced Hank Bachmeyer to throw that interception? Is it like a UCF throw again? Like, what's he doing? He's a third year starter. What's, what's up with that? No, that one was even worse because he had, he had no pressure in his face. Like, he had a clean pocket. He just decided to throw the deep ball way, way over, way over through his intended target and, you know, right into the defender's hands. I don't know. It's is it's we give a Jack Sears moment. Is this going to be a changing or does I don't think that would make a difference whoever's a quarterback. So it's not just hey the quarterback switch him out because again he was twenty two to thirty four fine two hundred forty like his stat line was okay like not great not bad but it's not all him but when he make when he makes a mistake when your running game can't do well and your offensive line isn't stopping anybody when you're Punting every time in the second half, like having three and four yard plays, it comes back to something. Maybe it's the play calling. Maybe it's this. There's a lot of things going wrong with this. Yeah, and, and like I said, you know, I I felt like the I felt like the Broncos defense gave as good as it got. Like obviously, you know, Warren going over 200 yards wasn't necessarily like great for for their chances of winning the no. game. But they had 10 TFLs too. You know, like, you know, and if, and they had some highlight worthy plays as well. Like, obviously, I think the thing, the enduring image is, is J.R. Skinner laying on that wide receiver trying to bring in a pass. Oh, yeah. But, you know, beyond that, you know, he had, he led the team in tackles and had, had two and a half tackles for loss. Uh, Kekola Kaniho had a couple tackles for loss. Like, the defense stepped up and did its part, especially after halftime when it would have very easily, 
you know, they could have very easily folded and they didn't, which is a credit to them. The offense yeah. just didn't get it done. The offense looks more one dimensional than I think anybody on that coaching staff wants it to be. And, you know, as we mentioned earlier, it's not going to get any easier for them against Nevada in a couple of weeks. Like, you know, that's a very critical conference game out the gate that they have to win, especially since other teams in their division are suddenly looking much improved. Like, you know, they've got questions to answer just like everybody else in the Mountain West. I th- I just think that maybe those concerns are a little more pronounced than anybody would have expected at this juncture in the season. So you, you, what's your main thing? Just the offense? I, I think the offensive line is the biggest concern because if they can't block for whoever's running the ball, Bachmeyer will apparently makes it a weird or dumb error every game. I think that's where it starts out. Like, again, seven TFLs, four sacks were allowed. I think that's where it starts up front because you're right. The defense turned it around. Defense does need to play more consistent, clearly, because you can't give up to yards to anybody in the ground. But – I think the offensive line's like, the, if I'm going to start with one area, I'd want that area to be better because that'll help multiple things. Because mm-hmm. the defense proven they can make adjustments and get better throughout the game, which point proven, zero point second half, hold Jalen Moore into well under his average from the first half. Yeah. So concern level is high for Boise State fans as it should be. I would, yeah, I would agree with so. Because they still have Mountain West play. They go to Utah State in two weeks. Like, that's no give me now what the Aggies have done. Like, are the Aggies going to finally beat Boise State in the conference for the first time in a while? We'll see. I don't know. They, here's their next stretch really quick. Like, like how confident are you in this stretch? They, got, they have a bye. They go to Utah State, host Nevada, go to BYU, and host Air Force. That's pretty difficult. That's tough. Like, if you're telling me right now they go 2-2, two and two, I'd be like, okay, fine, maybe. Like they, they, haven't, they haven't looked, yeah, they haven't they could looked go. head and shoulders above teams like they've looked head and shoulders above teams in years past so far. Of those four games, would you say any Boise State is definitively better than any four of those teams? Uh, give me those four teams again. At Utah State, mm-hmm. are they better than Utah State? Definitive, would you say like yes, they're 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 better than them? No. Utah State, Nevada, no, BYU. No, surprisingly. Air Force? No. No, Air Force? Okay. Could could they be sitting at one and five or two and five after that stretch? Do you think that's even possible? Two and five, Boise State. I think the story of conference play, and this is true of and I think this is sort of true in both games that we saw in, in this in this week, you know, one of which we talked about, the other one of which we talked about a little bit. The teams that will win games in conference play are those that manage their liabilities the best. Which I think means that anything can happen from week to week. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. We'll, we'll see. They go, they get their off week. We'll see if they can get together, but it's going to be, I will say it throughout, like, it's going to be exciting. Like, that's why I think division winners could be five and three. I don't Possibly. think that's out of the possibility. We'll see, but um, all right. Should we get to the the best game of the weekend? Well, no, no, no. We got we got to touch upon one more first, real quick. Which one? You do? Which one? Uh, you you uh, how, how excited were you to see Tate Martell take the field for the first time at UNLV? Oh, I forgot about him. Will oh, you will you tell your children where you were when he came on the field when for one came, play, ran for exactly zero yards, and then was taken out? Blocked. 
With the Rebels already trailing 24 to nothing? What quarter was this in first half? It was, was in like the third a, quarter. I may have been sleeping at the moment. I don't know. I could have been watching for the better first new UCLA game. Um, I, I like they put in the, your thing you wrote. It's like, what's the point? Like, you put him in, if that if that's your play, and you want to, bring, but why is he? It's just mind boggling. If that's the play you call from, that's fine. But he to never enter the game again, it may be a similar situation on the road. I. They lose this score forty to three to Iowa. Probably Iowa not as close to score. No, sorry, Iowa State. <laughs> My bad. I just I just hit the page. Iowa, move on. Iowa State. What's there to say? Charles Williams ran whatever forty two yards. Couldn't move it very well. Quarterback play was an issue because oh, okay because um, they didn't have their starter and neither. Why wait? Why didn't Rogers play? Was he hurt as well, or they just don't care? He, he was he was, the, he was the third quarterback in this game. Oh jeez. <laughs> yeah. So so Brumfield Brumfield was hurt. Rogers was basically kind of demoted on the depth chart. Um. So so true freshman Cameron Freel made his first start. Um. And and looked about as well as you would expect a true freshman to do to 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 look in his first career start against a team with as much talent on defense. As, uh, as, as Iowa State, uh, eight of 13, one interception, 67 yards, three sacks. Yeah, UNLV just basically had nothing to offer them on offense. And it was, it was pretty apparent pretty soon. Which is sort of why it made the, the, the kind of sporadic appearances from Martell a little more confusing. Like, you know, why wait until you're down by four scores? kind of change up to your offense. Like, if you think that he might give you an offensive spark, why wouldn't you do it sooner? We're playing more often. He was 2-6. Like, I mean, like, he had a handful of plays, but it's like, they, they were going to win the law. And so, like, the take out of this game is, like, don't get embarrassed, and they were embarrassed. Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of that has to do, I mean, it's sort of like a more pronounced version of what we talked about a little bit ago with New Mexico. I, I yeah. don't I don't want to make any sweeping proclamations about the rebels because like I, and I put it out there on Twitter as well like everybody knows like this is a multi year rebuild and and everybody knew going into 2021 that 2021 wasn't going to be pretty but then you look at like the fact that they've already used four different quarterbacks in three games and you still can't help but feel like there's something wrong with the way the rebuild is progressing and maybe some of that has to do with just like opponent adjustments because obviously Arizona State and, and Iowa State clearly outclassed you know the rebels at this point in, in their kind of build but I don't think it's going to get much better against UTSA and I don't know that it's going to get much better in Mountain West play because a lot of other teams are looking more improved while you while UNLV looks like it's just taking steps backwards I just don't know how many of those those steps backwards, they're going to be able to recoup even when the playing field ostensibly gets a little more level. Not in the West Division. It's not, they're not, like, I can see this result with the play all the West Division teams. Right? Yeah, like, I think you'll probably put it out there. Like, did you happen to see the stat that he put out there as far as, you know, likelihoods that every team goes 1 and 12 or 0 and 12? I was looking, I saw you tweet it out there. I was trying to find it. I was going to ask you, isn't it like 10% or something? Uh, let me see if I can find it. If you can vamp for just a moment. I'm looking. Like you, they had the undefeated. They had nineteen percent. I'm trying. 
Nineteen, twenty percent. Do you still go zero and twelve? Yeah, UConn is 49%. Oh, <laughs> oh man, sorry, um, Daniel. <laughs> Arizona, Arizona is thirty percent. Navy is twenty. Just lost to Northern Arizona. And Master UMass is three percent. Yeah. And and for the sake of comparison, we didn't mention it earlier. San Diego State given a three percent chance to run the table. So the, you know there's, yeah. there's still a chance of that too, but yeah. Um, so it is. Hold on, UTSA three percent as well, and they play UNLV. <laughs> yeah. So it's just you know it's it, sort of like you, you, it's sort of like managing your expectations, but then in the back of your mind you wonder whether things should be progressing like this. Is so Cameron Frills a guy he recruited, right? Is yes. a freshman. Yeah, he was a guy who came in early. He was competing for the job in the spring. Just let him play. Like, dare like forget Brumfield. What what years Brumfield? No, no, no. I'm, I, I don't think that's what you want to do, though. I think you know if you got the Brumfield you know, like guy, so? I think they're going to give Brumfield every chance to stick. I'm just thinking, like, just let him take like, his own I don't think, I don't, think call, I don't think they were turning to Friel or, or Martell because of anything that Brumfield did besides get hurt. I guess that's what I'm saying. Well, no, no, no. Well, Brumfield is a – oh, he's a freshman as well. Never mind. I thought he's older. My bad. I was thinking, like, if he's like a junior, it's like, just screw it. Go with the young guy for the rest of the way. Who cares? Let him build it. So, no, I have some – I guess the extra COVID year or whatnot kind of skews – or yeah, yeah. trying to remember what year of eligibility you technically are. So, I thought he was like a – had like maybe two years left. So, yeah. it's – Long, long uh, way to go I, in I Vegas. Don't, yeah. So, play the long game, right? Is that what we're saying here? Exactly. <laughs> Be patient and see what happens and just – um. I know you got the nice new stadium. You, want to, you get these good teams into town, but maybe uh, how about you ask Syracuse or like Vanderbilt to come to town instead, hmm. or Illinois instead of the top fifteen teams like Iowa State and top twenty team Arizona State. To play. I know Arizona State was in the road. Who could have foreseen you Iowa State getting good though? However, I could have foreseen UNLV still being very bad. <laughs> Just say you, you could see that too. That's more likely. But you're right. Like them being a top fifteen team. Yeah, I, I get it. But still, go, I don't know, go with the traditional losers. I don't know if you want to yeah. play Power Five team. All right, let's do this. Let's go to the final. Let's go to the final game. Then we'll, we'll wrap up with UCLA Fresno. So let's go to the night. The game in the island that started extremely late. It started Sunday morning on the East Coast time. Mm-hmm. San Jose State going to Hawaii, nineteen to thirteen. Spartans win, or excuse me, seventeen to thirteen. Apologies. In a close game where second quarter basically decided with the Spartans scoring scoring those fourteen points. I guess the good thing about Hawaii, Matt, is that they did not have to play from behind because they were leading this game at some point, seven to zero. Unexpected Bad rock news. fight, though. <laughs> it was because when you look at it. Cordiero threw the ball pretty well. Hawaii, eh, whatever. GD Hunter, whatever. Fifty centimeters didn't play extremely well, but the, the amount of sc- low scoring points is the Hawaii defense actually played much better than we thought. Because you're right. Because Tyler Evans didn't. Did he not play for some reason? I believe he, he no was unavailable because of injury. Okay, I forget because I didn't really watch this game all that much. I just cut some highlights and didn't. I just had a close game. Whatever. We'll get to it later. But I didn't see why not. But he was out of the game. But the defense for Hawaii stepped up like a couple sacks, a couple plenty TFLs. They did not like Nick Starkle didn't go off for a huge game. Like, no, I'm 
two, under 50% passing, had the interception. Like, Hawaii's defense stopped Kyrie Robinson. Like, they – Hawaii played much better than the turnaround we expected from basketball weeks. Like, we, okay, oh, it's over. They're not playing well. They lose. But I kind of thought San Jose State would have put up at least 30 points. This sort of this sort of looks like a game that you would have expected Hawaii maybe to win because San, or San Jose State's longest scoring drive, longest drive of the game, actually, was only 55 yards. Like, in terms of field position, neither team had an advantage, but it was just like that, that stretch in the second, second quarter where they strung together, you know, two adequate drives in a row, scored a touchdown on both of them. And that was basically the difference in the game because, you know, other than that, they had four three and outs. You know, every other time they got across midfield, you know, Hawaii found a way to stall them. Um, and otherwise, they didn't really do that much. Like, you know, Hawaii actually outgamed them on a per-play basis, uh, you know, 4.9 to 3.8. So it wasn't like, you know, the, off- the Hawaii offense wasn't doing its job. It was just sort of a strange result where I-, I-, I wish I knew what the win expectancy was on both sides. But I have to imagine that San Jose won that with less than a 50% win expectancy just based on how the game progressed. Well, that makes sense because it was close the way, yeah, like they were the second half, they, they only they scored no points. Or excuse me, the field goal, no touchdowns. You're right, like the length of drives they had. Like the first half, first quarter is all punt, 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 punt. Three plays, three plays, maybe six plays. Like they had ha- over, was it half their drives in the first half were outside of the touchdowns were punt or three and out. I guess that's mm-hmm. three plays or six plays essentially. And then they had the fumble too. And Hawaii missed their chance to kick a field goal at the end of the half. It was a 48-yard and not a gimme, but they still had a chance to get the ball back with 10 seconds left. They, Cordero gets that pass to Kelvin Turner, or sorry, an incomplete pass. They don't get any yards, but they're stuck at the 31. Had he caught that, maybe that would have done a bit more, clearly get closer. But Hawaii, like you're right, they wouldn't expect to see with what Hawaii missed a field goal, the way San Jose State did not move the ball as efficiently as they did. And if not for a good second quarter, they would have been losers in this game, clearly. Because both touchdown drives, like you said, were, what, 44 and a 55-yard drives. That's that's it for the scores, as you mentioned. Yeah. Every other drive was like zero yards interceptions, nine yards. Every other drive outside of, I think, if I'm right here, two, they had that 46-yarder where they punted, just kind of held the clock for a while. That mm-hmm. eventually came up short. They got nothing because they – were deep in their territory after the um after the punt. They got their own fourteen yard line. And so that was their only substantial drive of the game really. And I mean, everything else was short ascent. Yeah, it was sort of like it was sort of like drive. the inverse of, of last year's Nevada game where Hawaii looked like they solved what San Jose State wanted to do. And they just, you know, <laughs> they weren't able to put all the pieces together to win it. Is there a concern level for you for San Jose State playing? Or is this a thing where like Hawaii figured something out defensively finally? Because Hawaii's offense, like I said, they ran okay. Cordier was under 50%, but no touchdowns, no picks. This is clearly a defensive effort for why Hawaii won. Is there, are you ready to say their defense is kind of where it should be now? Like they kind of figured things out against one of the better offenses in the conference? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, San Jose State, and at least for one week, San Jose State and Boise State are kind of uh, maybe in the same boat where, you know, both teams were forced to be more one dimensional. 
and they want to. And, and I don't know how much of that you can contribute to, you know, Nevins not being available. So like on the one hand, you see that they made an attempt to kind of spread the ball around as a result. And I think it was like what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different guys saw at least five targets. Um, but it didn't necessarily work out because, you know, Starkle completed under 50% of his passes. Uh, and even though he had the two touchdowns, it's like he wasn't that impressive. And, yeah. and in Hawaii was able to kind of force, you know, turnovers. I think what they, what was it? Plus one, plus two in that regard. Um, there's one interception, uh, some, uh, sorry, I don't have it exactly in front of me, but there's a, yeah, yeah, two, a fumble interception and one fumble for Hawaii. So plus right, so one plus for, one. Yeah. for Hawaii. Yeah. So it was just one of those things where like, you know, San Jose State, Sort of since the first part of the Southern Utah game, like they haven't looked like they've fired on all cylinders yet. I still think they have that capability. I just wonder, you know, what it's going to take for that to be able to come around. Like, you know, whether, you know, he, whether Starkle needs a, a like a, a reliable number one receiver that he knows he can go to down the field or something like that. Um, or, or whether they just need like a little more front because, you know, Kate Hall's been pretty quiet to this point in the year, and it didn't necessarily bite them in this game because I think both sides ended up with two sacks and five TFLs. So other guys have stepped up. You know, Nehemiah Shelton, you know, had a couple pass breakups. Uh, Kyle Harmon, you know, had nine tackles. So, like, you know, the the veterans did their part, but maybe they just need a little more from, like, the top-tier talents, like the star power that we expected to see. But again, you know, they're, they're going to be in the mix in the same way that pretty much every single other team we've talked about to this point is going to be in the mix. It's just about, you know, how well they overcome or just manage, you know, whatever their liabilities are at this point. And maybe that's, you know, a little more of an uneven passing game than we expected to see. And, you know, a running game that has looked like it's sort of regressed to this point in the, to this point in the fall. Yeah, it's, it's, we'll see. I, we want to see a bit more from Spartans because again, I kind of said they'd take a step back a little bit mm-hmm. because undefeated or 10 wins might be a bit too much. But here's the thing too. Imagine being a Spartans fan a couple years ago and you're like, oh, we, not even counting last year, but they would have lost this game. It was like three years ago or even two mm-hmm. years ago, really. And so, yeah, they didn't play great for USC despite it kind of being close until the end. They sneak past Hawaii. Southern Utah, fine, but Southern Utah. They play Western Michigan. Maybe there's a reason I was wondering why Western Michigan's a two-point favorite of, for them. I know it's on the road, but they're, they're Spartans are underdog on the road to Western Michigan this year, this week, or next week, I should say. And Western Michigan is two and one. Like the matchup predictor at ESPN has, has Western Michigan 79% chance of winning that game. That's because so, the, the Broncos out there are a pretty good team. We'll talk more about them. But again, I like I, I, I said in the preseason, like it's still one of the, the non-conference games I'm looking forward to the most. San Jose State's going to have a shot, but I think I'm going to need to still a little more on offense kind of going forward. Yeah, I know. Western Michigan beat Pitt last past week, 44-41. I just kind of surprised. Like, like the offense isn't quite there, so that's why. I feel, Here's my point. Against any MAC team, I'm not surprised. It's a, I'm a little – well, I guess I said I'm a little surprised, but against any MAC team on the road, it should be – pretty even line, which two points basically is. Mm-hmm. So it's just uh, I think it's that low or that, I guess not low, but the, that number because Spartan's offense hasn't done extremely well against an FBS team. Yeah. Alright. Fresno State. UCLA. 
we told you, right? Every game day picked UCLA. They're suckers. They're a bunch of dummies. We picked the right team here. Listen to us, right? Fresno State beating, beating the Bruins. Every, every once Matt, in a should, while we get it right. Give us more credit for that. Come on. Also, you should have driven to the Rose Bowl, Matt. I'm just saying. <laughs> it would have been a late night, but or late day. But, like, this game, like, we look at the Oregon game. Outside of two bad possessions, they, pro- they, they even had Oregon on the ropes anyways. They should, probably should have won that game. They go on the road to UCLA, beat them. What, what, what did you put on there? They beat them two times in four years, something like that? They beat them three straight times. They're two and two, essentially? Now, now four straight times. Against the Bruins recently? Yeah. Oh, oh it's three straight times. I, I, no, it's four. Why don't you tell me at the beginning? Now, isn't it? I don't know. I still think, I, I still know they're rolling in seven, fig- seven figures a few times after this victory again. They keep getting paid. Maybe the uh, <laughs> Bruins will stop scheduling them. But outside, like, if we if we start reverse, this game is one of those games where Fresno should have not been in a situation where they're at. You know what I mean? Like that third Probably quarter, not no. <laughs> the third quarter was not good. They only scored three points. They're up twenty three to ten at the halftime. They're up twenty six to ten, and then I don't know, should be twenty three to. Yeah, 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 no, no, sorry, 23 yeah, down my mouth. I mean, a lot of that came down to the fact that Dorian Thompson Robinson had his best stretch of the game in the third quarter. Yeah, and that doesn't help, but th- this game overall, like the fourth quarter was like the last four minutes, so like the Fresno freaking fumbles and UCLA gets two touchdowns. It's like this game's over. They're down 30 to 26. I didn't think Fresno had it in them. I'm like, oh, good, Fresno's up. They get the touchdown, 33-30. Freaking UCLA goes down and scores again. And then Jake Keener had 40 seconds to go 75 yards, and he does it. Mm-hmm. With a basically a broken hip. What the heck happened? Nobody says what happened. Did he have her ribs? Like, he was holding and clutching his gut or hips from the touchdown drive before. Like, do we know exactly what happened to him? Have they seen anything yet? Have you seen anything? I don't know. I mean, I, I would imagine they're not going to disclose exactly what happened. Well, um, I meant usually you hear something about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know that there's been any official word about it. We're recording on Sunday evening, the 19th of, of September. We'll probably hear something about it maybe tomorrow during kind of the usual press conference. But yeah, like we like we already knew that he could like absorb some punishment and, and keep slinging it. But this was just sort of like you know, the defining moment of that. Freaking, uh, this is like this injury. Like he was, it wasn't like oh, I'm holding my breath. Like he. He came on the field the second time was still like he's on the ground getting hit, scoring touchdowns the drive before, throwing those passes and then I don't know how he did it, but like he took that you see the hit he took on the last touchdown? The game yes. winner? Jeez. <laughs> like holy crap. Jalen Cropper, he's the man. Like this game, like he, it was just amazing to watch. Like we knew this would be an exciting game. It was on Pac Twelve Network, so the limited people to watch it could watch it. But, like, this is one of the, like, this is not just hyperbole, but of the whole day, this is one of the more exciting games of the whole college football Saturday. Oh, yeah. Like, I know Florida-Alabama Florida, was pretty close. That was a really good game. Um, trying to think what else is out there. Like, Georgia Tech-Clemson came down a lot. Boring, but came down to the last little bit, what, 14-6 to 6 or something. But this game, like, back and forth, especially the last five minutes of the game, where Fresno's up 26-17, to 17, and they force um, UCLA to punt with 13 13- – 13 minutes left in the fourth quarter, it's 26 to 17. End up being 40 to 37. Yeah. They were, they were, how many points is it? That's 34 points in the final 10 minutes or 13 minutes? Like, 
the first like the first time I was excited like for, even first you know, like that first drive was that first drive where they had that overthrow pass to a wide open um who I I don't remember who it was there's a wide open third and eleven pass in that first drive I believe so yeah I saw I saw uh, a lot of they, people commenting on that they end up punting like oh dang we saw that last week or something like dang it they don't score but then they just pushed UCLA around like. This overall, like, there's so much to talk about for what happened. Like, well, I guess the biggest thing I'll say, besides Jay Kanner throwing for, we should mention, 455 yards, three t- two touchdowns, was that um, Jacques, Jacques Charbonnet, Charbonnet had only 19 yards. He's been torching everybody, and people are like, this guy's amazing. Put him on the Heisman list. UCLA's 2-0. They're going to win the Pac-12 South. They still might. He was clearly shut down and could do nothing this game after his prior two games. 106, six carries, 106 versus Hawaii, three TDs, 11 for 117 in the score versus LSU. He was, he came into this game at averaging, what, about 13 yards per rush attempt. 3.2. He had looked pretty sharp in the early going. Yeah. 17 for 223 on the year and four touchdowns. He did have two in this game, but they're all Jerome Bettis short yardage situations. Like the running game was shut down. Even during top, whatever DTR had like sixty-seven yards. It's okay. He passed. He had one of his better passing games of the year, including in that late in the game where he had that big stretch you mentioned. But Fresno secondary had a little bit of issues guarding like uh, Phillips and Brown, but out there and Cam Brown who had one hundred eleven. But this was an offensive juggernaut teams. Like this is. There's so much to say. Go watch it. If you haven't seen the game, go back and watch it. Even if you watch the freaking highlights, it's like a 15-minute highlight package because there's so yeah. much happened. The defense – like, okay, I'll get to, to my most impressive thing in this game, as I mentioned, was the rush defense of Fresno State because what Charbonnet has been doing, they shut them down. They get three TFLs. They don't sack DTR at all, but they get they, they suffocate the running game where if you're telling me you're forcing him to throw the ball to win, I'm like, yes, please. All day and let him throw the ball against me. I don't care. But he stepped up and got the first or second a little bit. But stopping that ground game was the biggest thing in this game because every other part of the game, they threw the ball well, they cut the ball well. UCLA's defense played pretty well. Like they had nine TFLs themselves and a couple sacks. They picked off Hayner once. Their defense played well. So that's the if you look at any area for what for the reason this game turned out the way it was, mostly was UCLA couldn't run the ball very well. And that's kind of what it overall. I know there's other plays here and there, but that's kind of a big picture because had UCLA been able to run the ball, maybe Fresno doesn't get the ball back again in, or more times in the second half, specifically that fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Like early, I know they scored like every play, every well, maybe that wouldn't matter. They scored every t- time they had the ball essentially in the fourth quarter, but things could have been a lot different had they been able to run the ball. Like maybe they don't need all three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, they only get two because they hold the ball for. They don't do a three-play drive for 57 yards. It's maybe nine for six, whatever. Nine for 57 takes five minutes instead of a minute 13. Mm-hmm. You want to gloat about your team? You need to be excited about the victory. Come on. See, I think the the one thing that I'm most <laughs> encouraged by in this game is the fact that the, you, know, you you mentioned UCLA getting bottled up on the ground. To me. Yeah. What made the one one of the things that made the big difference was the fact that Fresno State wasn't. Yes, which was something that I was back. I was starting to to feel like a little bit apprehensive about. Like, okay, well, are, are they as good at run blocking as they are as at, at keeping Hayner upright? And ironically, Hayner took a lot of punishment in this game. But you know, Ronnie Rivers ran for 136 yards on the ground, 
and and contributed a few more catches out of the backfield as well. So to me, like, you know, this was like, you know, the type of top-notch balanced offense that they needed. And and even though down the stretch it ended up falling to Hayner, you know, I mentioned, you know, Thompson Robinson having that big stretch in the third quarter to pull the Bruins back into the game. But, you know, in the second half, Hayner was nails, you know, 18 yeah. of 25, 255 yards and the two touchdowns in the last few minutes. But I think on the whole, it's just, you know, the fact that the offense was able to come together in a way where, you know, the running game had been a little bit sluggish in weeks past, that gives me a lot of encouragement that Fresno State is definitely more for real. It is. So, it is. So what does this tell you overall for Fresno State then, like, the rest of the way? Because they beat UCLA, who's seemingly a pretty good team because they're beating who they've beaten. I th- I like the defense a lot, which kind of stepped – that's kind of my impression when I told you before. But, like, where do you think them in context of, like, San Diego State or Nevada? Because you put them number one, right, in power rankings. I did as well. You had I did. Them at the top. So clearly we have them being pretty good. Do you – well, actually, let me back up. Like, what's your one concern about this game, just what you still could do offensively, even though throwing the ball? Like, do you have a concern? Because they won. That stretch in the fourth quarter wasn't great because they could pass well. But do you have any big overarching concern, deep passing plays, since they had a lot of those in this matchup? I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I had would it, would it be cop-out to say Hayner's health. No, that's not that, – that's – He's right now probably the best quarterback in the conference. And, and the, I mean, you know, the reason I say that is, of course, you know, we've seen a little bit of, of Logan Fife in the opener against UConn. You know, Jalen Henderson has been, you know, more the primary backup more recently. But if either one of those guys is forced into more extensive action, you know, maybe, you know, they decide to take it easy on Hanner next week because I think uh, Fresno State plays UNLV next Friday. Yep. Um, yep. so, you know, maybe they, you decided to give Hayner some time to rest. So, okay. So what is the office going to look like with a new operator under center? Is he going to be able to spread the ball around as much? Is he going to be able to, you know, complement rivers on the ground? Um, you know, is the defense going to go back to being, you know, the more kind of you know, rigid kind of unit rather than one that, that bent a lot, especially in the second half of this game, you know, that I think was more reminiscent of what we saw a lot of last year, um, so again, you know, this is not necessarily a team that has zero questions going forward, but you know, they, should, you know, based on how they look against UCLA, relative to other teams' best looks so far this year, yeah, they've definitely got to be near the top of, of Mountain West contenders right now, at least. I do as well, but and they got because they have UNLV, then they go to Hawaii. They probably would want him for the Hawaii game just because Hawaii. Yeah. I, they have enough where we've seen them where they can make games interesting. Like mm-hmm. if, they, if Hawaii gets everything together, they can totally compete with Fresno State, particularly if there's a backup quarterback playing. But that's a week and eight day, like it's a Saturday evening game. So you have the short week this week, which the way Hayner was holding his side, like it was weird because it wasn't like, I don't know what it is because it, it wasn't knocked out of breath because he wasn't like leaning over. He was literally like holding his hips. And upper stomach, like lower stomach area. Mm-hmm. So it has to be something where I'm betting it has some, hopefully just like a bruise or something. He's got hit an awkward spot in like the, whatever bone that is, like your hip bone or something, or 
like your growing area. It's not even growing. It's like the outside. He's holding his outside. So mm-hmm. maybe it's just a weird hit and it's bruised. Maybe that's all it is, a pretty bad bruise. Because it looked pretty pretty gnarly of how he was kind of laying on the ground, bending like bending over, holding that side together. So hopefully it's not – I don't think it's like a dislocated hip because how could you walk or do stuff like that afterwards? I don't think that's the case because that seems pretty unlikely for him to go out there and continue to play and walk. I'm just betting it was a weird hit. So don't play versus UNLV, but I think you're right. They're a contender. I put them at the top because who they beat and how they've been winning. So I think that's – I would be shocked. Do you think – if you had to make a case for anybody else, could you make a case for San Diego State being number one maybe or even Utah yeah. State? I mean, I think you okay. could probably make a more convincing case for San Diego State than Utah State. Yeah, because Utah's better than Wazoo, and so yeah. there's that consider. Okay, I'm with you too. I put I put Fresno State, Diego State, Utah State one, two, three. Or mm-hmm. no, no, I oh, no, I put Nevada in my top as well. I think I put Utah State four just because I'm still not quite there yet for them. Just because we'll see Nevada. I think there's still more potential for them to be better than not. So, mm-hmm. all right. So, anything else you want to add? We've gone fairly lengthy on a recap show because we have a million games we talked about. I think we're good to go. Any, all right, we're good to go. So MWR.com, check it out. We got a million things going on. We have a couple of new writers talking about stuff on the website, but everybody apparently Matt's been visiting, so that's helpful. helpful. So appreciate that. Keep it going. And we'll be back um, sometime next week to talk about week four because we are getting into more league games. And, yeah, it'll be exciting. And, heck, man, check out any game you can get. Like even watching the extended highlights, go watch these games because they are going to be great. Anything out west, even the Mountain Division now, Utah State being better, CSU, yeah, Matt, maybe they'll, their defense will show up and stymie some, some Mountain West contender to like 14 points, but still lose. I don't know. Just thinking out loud, but there'll be many games to watch and many games to watch for because they'll all be great. So we'll be back next time. And yeah, until then, we'll just keep checking out our website. That's what we want you to do. So head out to mwr.com and we'll see you next week.